share together concerning Enoch from both the Old and the New Testament, for both speak of this interesting man. In the fifth chapter of Genesis, beginning at the 21st verse, and then in the 11th chapter of the Hebrews' letter, the fifth verse. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred and sixty-five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And then in the Hebrews' letter, the 11th chapter, 5th verse, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. To find a man described in his relationship to God in both the Old and the New Testament in itself would demand an examination of that man's life. Enoch was such a man. There is not a great deal said about him, but what is said about him causes us to know that here is someone that we ought to know as much about as possible. And let him become for us an example of the kind of walk that obviously pleased God. The need for approval is one of the basic human needs. We know that in all of the various experiences of life. The child experiences deep down a basic need to win and have the approval of his parents. We know that, that children have a desire deep down to win the approval of their teachers. Moving into the teenage years, the only explanation we can have for some behavior is a desire deep down for teenagers to win the approval of the peer group. And by the way, we should never forget those of us who are adults and who love teenagers. We should never forget that probably the strongest influence other than the Holy Spirit in the life of a teenager is another teenager. The pressures of the, tier, of the peer group for that young person is absolutely tremendous. And some of us who are now adults just might have forgotten that. There is a need. There is a need for courting young adults 
to win the approval one of the other. And on and on we go. The seeking of approval, of the meeting of that need to be accepted by others, by the wrong people, can lead very often to attitudes and to behavior that is destructive and inevitably will lead to bitterness. Bitterness in the human heart and will spew out a bitterness that will touch the lives of other people. Enoch was merely following after that basic human need. That is the need for approval, the need for acceptance, the need to be right. And he translated it in such a way in his own life that he was able to enter into that kind of fellowship and relationship to God where he could be on good terms with God. We have a very simple statement. It's not an argument. There are not a lot of verses about it. There's not a great deal of history that goes into the makeup of it. It's just this truth in this wonderful 11th chapter of the Hebrews letter. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and he was not because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that, he pleased God, that he pleased God. Now, when I go back into the Genesis passage and read beginning at the fourth chapter and going through the fifth chapter as we have the list of the genealogies beginning here at Adam. In the fourth chapter, Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bear Cain, and from that on down to the time when Enoch is born. And then it says Enoch begat Methuselah. Enoch was the father of the man who lived the longest recorded time span in the history of the earth. And by the way, had you ever stopped to realize that in all likelihood that if sin had not played such a prominent part in that time, in that generation, and that God had not ended the world and destroyed the world by flood, it could have been that Methuselah would have lived a, long, a lot longer. That's right. <laughs> on and on. He could have just kept on and kept on and kept on. And the fact that he was the oldest man, he could have been older if it hadn't been for a lot of mess that was going on all around him, and he probably had part in it. That ought to tell us something about our own lives. Enoch pleased God. Now, admittedly, as I think about Enoch and as I look at the, the very few passages that we have about the remarkable man, and I think about the generation in which he lived, the kind of, of culture in which he was a part, we realize it was very difficult for a man like Enoch to have this said about him that he pleased God. So the first thing that we must say about Enoch in this high tribute that is his is that it was a tribute not easily or lightly given. That he lived that kind of life that truly made him worthwhile. He lived the kind of life that, that obviously had the arrows of God pointed toward him 
to say this is someone of whom I am pleased. I like that little essay that is attributed to some child somewhere along the way in writing about Enoch who simply said God and Enoch went walking and they walked together so far and it was getting late and Enoch said I've got to get back home and Enoch said uh, you know I just need to turn around and, and, and head on back and God said well we're a lot closer to where I live than to where you live why don't you just come on home with me? And Enoch went on home with God. What was it about this man? In the circumstances of the times in which he lived, when others did not please God, when others did not walk with God, when others lived lives that did not glorify God. What can we infer from this tribute paid to this man about his life? I think these are sound. I think that we can infer from these few brief passages about this remarkable individual that here was a man who was acquainted with God. He was acquainted with God personally. He knew him. He walked with him. He talked with him. There was a fellowship between this man Enoch and the eternal God. Now there are many ways that we can know something about God. We who are privileged to have and read the Bible can learn a great deal about God. We can study the world of which we're a part. And this reveals to us the God of nature in power and creative ability. The beauty of a sunset like we had tonight would speak something of the wonder and the majesty of God and would tell us that he is a, a God who loves beautiful things. When we see the mountains in their majestic force, when we watch the oceans roll and beat upon the shores of the continents, when we, when we recognize that in the midst even of the turmoil of the storms and the rolling of the thunder and the flashing of the lightning, that even there we see something of the magnificent creative powers of God, yes, we discover something about him. We can discover something about God in the lives of people with whom we're privileged to live and walk as we see God at work, as we see God loving, as we see God caring and God comforting. But all of that is still secondhand. For you can read the Bible and God is still a secondhand God to you. And you can study the world of nature and though you acknowledge it to be the product of God and God's handiwork and God's doing, it's still a secondhand sort of a relationship with God. And even when you see God marvelously at work in the lives of people whom you know, maybe even members of your family circle, it's still a second-hand kind of knowledge. It is important if we are to please God, as Enoch pleased God, that we have a first-hand personal acquaintance with the eternal God in the universe. 
Oh, there are a lot of people in the world that say, well, that's just not possible. God is too transcendent. God is too other than. God is too far away. God isn't really concerned about me or mine. No, there are a lot of people that believe that. But Enoch's experience with God says that's a lie. That God is interested in the individual man and the individual woman. God does care. God knows us, each one. Oh, I think a year or so ago when I preached from this pulpit, I may have shared with you a little story that's one of the favorites in our family. It's when our youngest, who will be 16 on Tuesday and going on 26, you know all of those symptoms, when, when Candy was about three years old, we made the mistake of asking her in front of company. That's always a mistake to ask three or four-year-olds in front of company, how were things at Sunday school, you know? How, what did you do at church today? Sometimes that turns out all right, sometimes it doesn't. That's best be asked in private most of the time. Well, we had some company, and, and, and I asked Candy, I said, Candy, what, what went on in Sunday school this morning? Did you have a good time? Oh, had a good time. Had a good time. Said, said we drew some pictures and said was colored and said uh, told us some stories and said we sang. Said, well, that's fine. What did you sing? Said, well, we sang. What was it? Now, we sang, Jesus knows me, this I love. And we snickered and laughed because she got the words backwards. Because the song is, Jesus loves me, this I know. But the more I thought about that, and the more I have thought about that over the years, the more I have realized that the little three-year-old had it right. Jesus knows me, this I love. That's right. Jesus knows you. Jesus, in the eternity of his being, for he is the eternal Christ, God, the eternal, sovereign, majestic, creator, God. God knew Enoch, and he knew him by name. He knew when he was born. He knew where he lived. He knew what he did for a living. He knew things about his family. He knew the beat of his heart. God knew Enoch. And you know something? God knows you. He knew when you were born. He knows all about your family life. He knows all about all the experiences that you've known from the moment of your birth. He knows all about you. He knows your dreams. He knows your hopes. He knows your ambitions. He knows when you've stumped your toe. He knows when you've disappointed him and gone another way. God knows you. And so I think it's a very valid inference that we draw as we study and read these few verses about this remarkable man of God, he must have been a remarkable somebody. And I think we can draw from that 
that he was acquainted with God personally. And I think we can draw from this very few brief words that we have about him that he not only knew God, not only was acquainted with God, but here was a man who acknowledged God in his own life. Now, it's one thing to know that God lives and another thing to acknowledge the reality of God in your own personal life. It's one thing to acknowledge that there is a great sovereign power out there somewhere, some great spirit God somewhere, but another thing to acknowledge that he, li he lives and exists in a very personal way. He was real. Something else. Enoch, this man who walked with God, this man who did not taste death but was translated and God took him on home with him, this interesting and unusual man evidently was in agreement with God. Well, now how do I know that? Where does it say that? Either in the fifth chapter of Genesis or where does it say that? Over here in the eleventh chapter of Hebrews. Well, let's let Amos say a word about it. You know, the Bible is its own best commentary. That as we read the Bible, we'll pick up a line here and a word there and an inference over here that relates perfectly to what God's talking about in the totality of his revelation to us. And so I listen as the prophet Amos said one time, can two walk together except they be agreed. Can two walk together except they be in agreement? Now, you see all of the kind of spiritual fallout that that verse gives us? Happiness in the home between a husband and a wife comes when we have the basic agreements about the most important things. Of course, there will always be differences. Of course, there will always be shades of opinion and differences of opinion. That's what life's made up about. But on the basic issues of life, there are those basic agreements that allow a man and a woman to look each other straight in the eye and to give love one to the other and to squeeze each other's hands and to walk the pathway of life together because they're in agreement about the major and the vital and the important issues of life. The same thing is true when it comes to any kind of a situation where two must walk together for any stretch of time. In a business agreement, two business partners that do not agree on how the business ought to be operated or the end results of it or the ethics that are involved in the operation of the business, pretty soon there's going to be an explosion that will take place because they're not in agreement about the basic things. If two are going to be friends, it's because we arrive somewhere along the way. We discover that we are in basic agreement about many of the basic issues of life. That being so on the human level, how much more so is it true when we come to think about walking with God? Enoch walked with God. Well, what would that tell us? It tells us then that Enoch was in agreement with what God was doing in his world. Enoch talked with God, and Enoch agreed with God. He was in agreement 
that God loved the world and that God cared for his world and that God was working out some marvelous, magnificent program in his world. And Enoch simply said to God, I'll be a part of it if you'll let me. I'm on your side of the fence. It was in a basic agreement. And if you can't agree with God on how life ought to be lived, if you don't agree with God on God's purposes for the world, if you don't agree with God that sin is sin and right is right and wrong is wrong and heaven is heaven and hell is hell, if you don't agree with God on some of these things, then you can't take the sandals of Enoch and walk with God quietly over the hillside basic agreement you must be in agreement with God if you're to walk with God in the beauty and the wonder of fellowship I think there was something else the only reason why God himself would pin that beautiful beautiful line that we associate totally with Enoch's name that he walked with God that he pleased God I think the reason for it was that Enoch not only was in agreement with God, you know it's possible to be grudgingly in agreement with another individual, but Enoch genuinely appreciated and adored God. He genuinely adored his God. Why does this church exist? Why, just a few brief years ago, did people have a dream in their hearts that there would be a church here? What's the reason for having a church anywhere? Here, or downtown, or across the city, or any place on the face of the earth? Why? Why a church? Well, a church does many things. A church is many things. But when you bring it right down to the basic, to the fundamental, to the number one reason for the existence of a church, this church, I think that the Bible would teach us that we exist to worship God. We are a church to worship. Because God is worthy of worship regardless of anything that is happening on the face of the earth. God, because he is God, is worthy of all of the adoration that we can bring to him. The best thinking of our brains, the best singing in our talents and our abilities, the best that we can do is still none too good for him, who by his very nature is worthy of all of the worship and all of the adoration that we can bring to him. And I would submit to you that the initial purpose of Two Rivers Baptist Church is to the worship of God. There are many other things that fall out. There are many byproducts that come when that's kept first and foremost and central. 
when we know that the first task of a church, this church, is to worship God Almighty and to give to Him the respect that is due to Him, then it is a world takes note. Then it is that we begin to walk in the midst of a world that does not know Him. And because they see us worship and adore Him, they will come to know Him. When we worship Him, we then have love for others outside these walls as well as inside these walls. When we worship Him, then all of the ministries and all of the activities and all of the everything that engages the attention of any of us in any of the various organizations or aspects of the life of the church, it finds its true place only when the first objective of it all is to worship God. We exist to worship God. And Enoch pleased God because he not only knew him personally and individually, but because he adored him and he worshiped him. And so as Enoch has received from the scriptures these marvelous truths, we look to the scriptures to tell us how we can live lives, how we can walk with God so that we will be pleasing to him. In this 11th chapter of the Hebrews letter, let's look at one or two other verses. The very first verse in that 11th chapter says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, faith, the elders obtain a good report. And then look at the sixth verse. The fifth verse has been talking about Enoch. He had this testimony that he pleased God. Now the sixth verse. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Enoch has this testimony from God himself that he pleased God. If you would like to have the same testimony of God about your life, then there are certain things that you can do. And in the wholehearted doing of them, all within the context of being done in faith, faith that God is and is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, if you will do these things, you will then walk like Enoch with God. Everything I mention is worthy of about an hour's discussion. I put you at your ease. I just want to list them, but they're worthy of remembering. The believer, if you would walk 
with God. You must walk in faith. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, said, For we walk by faith and not by sight. If you would walk being pleasing unto God, it will not only be in the midst and motivated by and impelled in the sense of the faith that you have in the reality and in the goodness of God, but it will be that you walk in the newness of life. Here is where agreement comes into being. If I were to take a glass of pure, clean water, difficult to find these days, but if I had such a thing as an absolutely pure and clean glass of water, and I took one little speck of dust and dropped it in that pure water, by so much the purity of the water has been made impure. Now, that's a simple illustration. I think we can all accept that. Isn't it true, then, that in the holiness of God, the purity of God, that if God were simply to wink at the sinner still in his sins, that if God were simply to nod indifferently to you or me still with all of the stink and the stench of sin on our souls, and say, oh, it really doesn't make any difference. Come on into my presence. What happens to the purity and the holiness of God if such happens? By so much, he then becomes less pure and less holy. So it is only then when we are in the newness of life, when our sins have been removed, not only are we forgiven when God says, I forgive, but something happens that in the blood of Jesus Christ, sins are washed away and we are pure and righteous and clean. And because in the newness of life that we are in Jesus Christ, we then become fit to be able to walk in the company of God. So it is in the newness of life, if you would walk with God, you must have faith. If you would walk with God, you must experience the newness of life that comes only from surrender to Jesus Christ. If you would walk with God as Enoch walked with God, then you must remember that you would walk in the Spirit. Paul writing the conclusion of the letter to the Galatians Paul said, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the law of the flesh. We walk in the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit of God. In the moment that we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes and takes up residence within us. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? That's what the Scripture asks. And so in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit from level to new level, from plateau to new plateau, walking in the Spirit, in the trueness that all of that means, we then have the joy of companionship 
with the Holy Spirit of God that makes walking with God be something great and marvelous and wonderful. One of the great words of the New Testament as it describes the Holy Spirit is the word paraclete. Literally means one who stands beside to help. It moves into the Latin language as the word advocate. An advocate is one who is able to take our side of things. A lawyer is called an advocate because the lawyer stands beside us before the bar of justice and is able to plead our cause before the judge. The Holy Spirit is that for us. An advocate before the Father, one who stands beside us to comfort us. So you see, to be a Christian is to be then like Enoch, walking with God, to have the presence of God within us, for we are the temple of God, and to know the presence of God beside us as our strength and as our comforter and as our help. And so if you would be like Enoch, and if I would be like Enoch, where it might be said of you or me as we go through life that we please God, then our walk must be characterized by that beautiful and wonderful and often abased word of love. And walk in love as Christ hath also loved us is the admonition to the church at Ephesus. And Jesus gave this explicit word that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one toward the other. And so here we have it. Enoch walked with God in all that that must mean, in the joy of fellowship, in the joy of conversation, in the delight of the give and the take of friend to friend. Enoch walked with God. It was said of Enoch that he pleased God, for he acknowledged him, and he agreed with him, and he adored him, and he is our example that as we would please God in our walk with him, so then we must believe him by faith. And so it is then that we must walk with him and desire to serve him the walk of love and the walk that is in the light because we are in his presence. Enoch, Enoch must have really been somebody. And I'm looking forward to meeting old Enoch when I get to heaven because I'd like to know a little bit more about a man where so few words are in the Bible about him, but those few words say so much. He walked with his God, and he pleased God. Can that be said of you? Do you walk 
with God in all that that means? Do you please God in all that that means? Enoch is a worthy example. And now we should examine our hearts to see whether or not we have much of Enoch in us. Would you pray? Can your name be substituted for Enoch? In your heart of hearts, can you say, I walk with the Master. I live as best I can to please the Master. Oh, thank God there are so many who can give the testimony of faith to say yes. There are so many of you. You started the journey with God a long time ago, and it's been joy mountaintops and valleys, but God's always been there. Wherever, however. And so there are a lot of you like Enoch in this room tonight. I thank God for you. And you, and it's not some kind of a false pride, it's the joy of what Christ has made you to be. Thank God that it can be said of you as it was said of Enoch. This is a part of your worship and your praise and your adoration. But if tonight your walk is not with God, if you had rather have the approval of others than the approval of God, and you know it. If that's not been the kind of life you've been living to please God, tonight's the best night to start. Tonight's the very best night to say, Father, let me be like Enoch. I want to walk with you. I want to please you. And if you'll believe that he is and the rewarder of them that ask, then here and now in this very place, in the pew in which you sit, something glorious will happen and you'll go from this place with a marvelous song in your heart, walking with God. Dear Lord, help us worship you. Dear God, forgive us 
when we've trotted off with this one or that one. And we've lived lives that have not brought honor to you. Dear God, forgive us when we've not had the desire in our hearts to walk with you in a daily sweet companionship. When we've not pleased you. Help us, dear Lord, for we want to walk with you. In Jesus' name. Hymn number 182, The Savior is Waiting. He's waiting to walk with you, and he's waiting to talk with you, and he's waiting to save you, and he's waiting to, to lift you, and waiting to ennoble you. And he's waiting to give you something you've never had before. The Savior's waiting. What do you do with his invitation? To love him and accept him, believe in him and trust him. In that first time experience as you come to acknowledge that Christ now will become the Lord and the Savior of your life. As a Christian, will you come knowing that the Savior is waiting to see what you're going to do in the matter of church membership? How you're going to really plant your life to serve him and to honor him. What better time than here and now in this place. Take a stand for Jesus. You who are longtime members of the congregation, what about your walk with the master? It just might be that the simple word that you'd share with someone in the staff or with your fellow members here, I'm going to have a closer walk with the master. And it's starting tonight. You just might want to make that your word by the grasp of the hand and return to your seat. But what a difference it'll make to the encouragement of us all. We're going to stand and sing, and however God leads you is the way you ought to respond as we stand and sing. Come.
verse is a simple one, but it has a singular truth. Enoch walked with God. Oh, anywhere you are, right where you are, you can and should make the decision that you ought to make for the Master. But there's something that puts it in concrete, that lets the influence be felt in the lives of others when we walk. Enoch walked with God. This aisle is a short one, but the length of it brings glory to the Master. When the walking points to the decision you've made for him. Walking for God. Let's sing again. What does the Holy Spirit lead?